everyone, and welcome. This is episode 247 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Ryan and Paul as we uh, start the unofficial second half, I guess, of the Brewers season, post-All-Star break second half. Uh, Brewers off to a pretty... I guess at least entertaining start. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's a good start, but uh, 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 lots of baseball watching in terms of hours as well. These games have been crazy long. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I sat through two of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan (laughs) got the got the Miller Park sauna experience going on the the last couple of games he's gone to. So. how how was that, Ryan? Uh, are you are you still like soaked, or how are you feeling? No, I I got him home and took a shower today, so <laughs> that was that was very necessary. After today wasn't even that bad because it was the roof was open and we had a, a reasonable amount of breeze and we're in the shade, so it was tolerable. Friday night was really bad and long and painful, so yeah, <laughs> sounds about right. That's the true Miller Park Schwitz experience when you go yeah. and they close the roof on you and yeah. You just start looking around looking for like a bunch of like topless Turkish men in a bath, like just <laughs> oh, yeah. steaming it out. Yeah, it's it's a it's a wild experience. What Definitely I reali- a two shower day. Yeah. Yep. What I realized on Friday is I caught the end of the game and I had gone to bed and just randomly got up and decided, oh, yeah, it was an extras when I went to bed and it was still an extras when I got up. Um, yes. and I, I realized it had been a very long time since uh, I'd seen tweeted or tweeted myself about weird baseball. Uh, which I believe is uh, (laughs) Kevin Goldstein invention. And when my kids were little and I was up all the time at night, I feel like there was a weird baseball occurrence like once a week um, and often more than that. I think that the the change in extra innings more than anything has eliminated weird baseball from baseball. Uh, Mm -hmm. For those who don't remember or know what that is, uh, uh, I believe the story is that Kevin Goldstein was with a baseball game with his younger like nephews or cousins or something like that, and it went to extras, and he had to convince them to stay interested. So he said, oh, if it goes past midnight, then uh, everybody gets ice cream, and uh, it's called weird baseball. And so then it became a thing. Um, so that's it. <laughs> it happened. You're supposed to go get yourself ice cream, and uh, I did not because I didn't have any ice cream, which made me sad. But, uh, yeah, you, you don't see that too much anymore. For a local time zone only, by the way. If a West Coast game goes past midnight in the Central, that doesn't count. All right. <laughs> um, but this was this was there. Um, so, yep. It's funny that you bring this up because I actually explained the concept to Amy as we were walking out of the park. Because I said, oh, we missed Weird Baseball by like four minutes. Yeah, it was really <laughs> close. It was real <laughs> close. And she's like, what is Weird Baseball? Like, oh, you never heard the story. So I explained the whole thing. And. I, I didn't know the part about the nephews. I thought it was just Kevin Goldstein wanting an excuse to eat ice cream at home. In his... I think there were kids involved. I, gotta, I, have to okay. admit, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard it since Kevin Goldstein had a podcast the first time. <laughs> R.I.P.K.G. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could be wrong. It's a long time ago. All right. Well, plenty to talk about, at least so far with that Rocky series. But before we start, a reminder, as always, if you'd like to help support us, support the podcast network, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That gets you the question priority on all the podcasts on the network. Uh, this one and reporting as eligible, which, Paul, you, you said before Soon. we started. Uh- <laughs> I have stuff in. I have stuff developing in the hopper. We will have episodes fairly soon. We'll have minisodes even sooner because things have started actually occurring that are meaningful, including David Bakhtiari maybe being done. I don't know. Bad bad signs there. Yeah. Not, not yeah. Good. 
Uh, took a we'll hard turn into Chad Cliftonville there. That's, totally. that's not great. Yeah, yep. yeah. Not, not great at all. Yep. So uh, be on the lookout for those. Um, and uh, as well, uh, Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. minor league extra, five bucks a month. Anything in the hopper there? Yeah, James and I will be recording on Friday. So uh, I will put up a post for questions in a little bit, and we will uh, get his take on his uh, – clairvoyance or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. yeah his 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 I mean, future seeing when they took eric brown his so. hard work and education doing what he does <laughs> yes 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 because yes. he just he's like hey yeah, he seems like a guy that the brewers might like so turns out yes hey, that is very true what, what's the what's the phrase uh luck is just hard work meeting opportunity or something like mm-hmm. that i don't know what that it's an old football coach thing i guess no I'm that definitely is so, an old football yeah. coach thing yeah, yeah. yep all right. So as we mentioned, five bucks a month, you get that minor league extra. You also get Paul's mini pods as promised. So uh, lots of content to look out for if you go over to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and become a patron. All right. As we mentioned, after stumbling into the all-star break, we've kind of seen the Brewers turn things around a bit. Uh, playing the Rockies definitely helps things <laughs> when it comes to the win column. But uh, they won each of their first three games against Colorado despite some of those marathon games that we've talked about. But uh, they'll enter the first full week after the break, 10 games over 500 and two and a half games clear of the Cardinals. And the Cardinals are going to Canada shorthanded for their own uh, self-inflicted reasons. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's talk about the Rocky series so far. Uh, you know, guys, we spent a lot of time last week talking about Josh Hader's struggles and and what might be behind that you guys can go and listen back to that if you missed it but he's made two appearances since the break and i i guess best thing you could say is results have been mixed i guess uh maybe a little bit better than before the break but not i mean yeah sunday saw its own uh little excitement there but uh, Paul, let's just start with you. Are are you reassured or are you still a little <laughs> worried? I know you were trying to see if there's been any, you know, like tangible difference in his stuff or, or things like that. I guess. Uh, what are your thoughts seeing not, Hater post All-Star break? Certainly not reassured at all. Um, he, he, well, they've managed to scrape out of a, a few of his appearances. It hasn't really been because of anything Josh Hader did to help himself. He He's still been in trouble and... Um, it's still the the, the hater stuff of you, know, you see the lack of control, especially I think when things start to go uh, a little bit wrong. He seems to be losing it a bit more. But more than that, just when he gets in the zone too much, he just gets hammered. He's the he's the weirdest damn pitcher that way. Like um, you figure most guys who miss bats like hater, um, you know, if they give him contact, even if it's not weak, it'll just be like singles. They'll give him their fair share of home runs. But like he never gives up a single. It's always just bombs. He's always triples and home runs and weird crap um so that's it's not great and there's really not anything super obvious in his profile other than um i I would say i think guys are laying off high stuff a little bit more and concentrating on getting him when he comes into the zone and he's not as good there um and uh his it shows up in his like expected slugging percentage numbers on savant they're much higher than they normally are they're in the like uh, not First of all, it's usually not very high, but it's like 397, which is not a bad slugging percentage, but it's not great. Um, but it's not good. He still doesn't look good. He, he's going to be a problem if he keeps pitching like this. And uh, I, I, I thought that the time off might do him some good, but uh, it, it has not. He, he's got something that needs fixing, and hopefully that the lab can do some work on him and get that done. 
Yeah, I watched very closely on Friday night and had specifically wanted to have out the uh, the game day app so that I could track what was going on with it and see where he was going. And he got some really, really generous calls in that yep. inning. And that really helped him out quite a bit, I think. And still was kind of touchy. And I didn't stay and see today's. We, we left right before that inning. So had to head out with the uh, parents, get them back on their way to Madison. So I didn't see it, but it doesn't sound like it went all that well, especially with the triple. So, so the hard contact. And then you have you know following up with a walk. Yeah. And so really, he, he started with two strikeouts, at least, I, I think. Yeah, it looked uh, good. I was following it, it on good. game yeah. day. Yep. And then, and then he gave up uh, almost home run to Garrett Hampson, who does not have uh, very good power, but uh, <laughs> hit a screamer off the wall, almost concussed Tyrone Taylor again, and could have had an inside-the-park home run, so not great. And then after that, he kind of just lost all command. Like, he kind of got scared of throwing it in the strike zone and then kind of got lucky to get Chris Bryant to end the game. So, yeah, yeah it, definitely mixed results. Well, and that's the thing, too. When he is right he is generating a lot of swings and misses outside of the zone. Like, he will go with that fastball high above the zone, and guys won't be able to lay off of it, but they will be swinging at balls. And when guys sort of sense blood in the water with him, when he's on a bad run, everybody gets more patient, first off, and then everybody starts looking to attack very certain pitches, right? It, it seems to be both the, the combination of uh, guys becoming more patient and guys become much more focused on certain spots. Yeah. And it's like once the blood is in the water with Hader, the hitters all seem to have the playbook. And it's the most random guys and the most like the fact that Garrett Hampson did that. Remember when a couple no namers for the Marlins <laughs> just absolutely destroyed him in a series? I think it was maybe 2019. It's it's random people that end up doing this. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a right handed batter. It could be a lefty, no. too. He just can get tanked by just about anybody. That's the other weird thing about him. Like a lot of lefties who start out as dominant relievers, um, if they do enter some sort of decline, they're at least still good loogies for a long time. And that is just not really the case with him. It's uh, it's really weird. Lefties actually have a higher OPS against him than righties do this year. And I think that that's been somewhat consistent. That's all slugging. Um, lefties are slugging 458 against him this year. Uh, so. That's not great. It looks like his, his sinker's been worse than in previous years, just, just on some of the numbers under the numbers. Um, his K percentage is quite a bit lower than last year. It, it was 45.6 last year. It's 38.1 this year. Um, tw 2020 it, it, uh, throws some muck into this trend-wise because it was the stupid COVID year, um, and he has weird splits that year, but... Uh, it looks like the big problem is like he's just whiffing way fewer people. He's king way fewer people with the sinker, um, and people are making hard contact with that thing when it when it gets in the wrong spot. I can't help but think that if this were OOTP, you'd be looking to trade him right now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's probably stupid. He's probably not just like on a bad. Uh, you know, permanent trend here where he's just lost it forever. Uh, he will probably rebound because, as I've said for the last few weeks, Josh Hader goes through this and then he gets through it yep. and then goes on yeah. and it's fine after that. So I don't think you can flip out too much about it, but there is a shelf life on this sort of thing. And 
we probably aren't to the end of it, but like that is a distinct possibility. Like it is, it would not be stupid to say at this point that there's a chance Josh Hader is losing it and that he's going to have to find another thing. We talked about last week that he doesn't seem to have like a secondary set of skills to fall back on here. (laughs) True. (laughs) So that is, it, it makes the whole thing kind of dicey. Not that they're going to trade him, not that they should trade him, but you, you could kind of see it like uh, I bet you this winter they're going to be happy to field phone calls. I, I would be shocked if they didn't. And actually, I would I, I've gotten to the point now where I would bet money that they will trade Hater in the offseason. I think Ooh. that is coming. You, you've turned into me. OK. Oh. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I've gotten there slowly, but I always kind of thought that it was more likely that they would deal him before free agency. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah. OK. Fair point. Yeah, and they've got, you know, William's still there, and, you know, Aaron Ashby locked up long-term now, so even if he's a bullpen piece, you know he's going to be cost-controlled, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, I think just to kind of wrap up Hater this week, I I think it's worth noting that post-game, I think it was Eric Lauer talking, because he kind of had a rough start on Sunday as well, talking about how the Rockies just as a team, they're constructed to not really chase and... uh, make a lot of contact and i think that's kind of just a bad matchup for a lot of brewers pitchers mm-hmm. <laughs> josh Hader included but as we talked about the last couple of weeks this is this is more than just uh maybe just a a an opponent issue with him he's not hitting his spots he doesn't have yep. that extra zip on stuff he kind of loses confidence once he gets rocked in the strike zone and, and he needs to be able to trust his stuff i think all the brewers pitchers do um but when we see him nibble and get into trouble, that's that's kind of where it happens. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how the next couple of weeks play out. You can bet I was lamenting all the bad contact that the Rockies were reaching on today because they reached on a lot of bad, just poor contact and were mm-hmm. really on base a lot because of that today. So, yeah, I would not miss a chance to complain about that. <laughs> One thing about that sinker really quick is um it is under a, uh, under 12 inches of vertical drop for the first time since he was a rookie. It's at 11.5, and uh, it was 12.1 last year. It was 13.6 the year before that, and it's usually in, in the 12.5 to 13.5 range, so that is not breaking like it used to. Uh, that might be something to keep an eye on. Sure. Maybe something he needs to just throw less. Yep. Well, <laughs> except it's the pitch he throws like. Yeah. <laughs> it's the yeah. pitch he throws. You can't really just be go to... <laughs> The breaker yeah. is is not uh, reliable, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I guess speaking of pitching, and, and I just kind of mentioned it, the, the big surprising news post-All-Star break was, hey, Aaron Ashby is going to be around a while, kind of <laughs> signing a, a Freddie Peralta-esque contract, which is kind of a surprise to me. So... The guaranteed portion of it is, I believe, five years, $20.5 million, uh, which is a steal already. And yep. then two options that could take it up to seven years. And I think it's $46 million is the s- figures that we've been seeing. So uh, the Brewers could be getting Aaron Ashby for up to seven years for less than $50 million, which seems like a steal just right now, uh, even though you know he, he's had some ups and downs to start his big league career. But... I think we've all kind of seen the potential there. And, you know, 
I feel like this is something that we talked about with the Freddie Peralta deal too, where it's like, even if he just ends up being a really good reliever for that yeah. time, that's still a good contract to be locked in on. Right, Paul? Yeah, I think that's exactly the calculus here. Um, and why maybe I wouldn't have done this if I were Ashby. I know you want to get life-changing money and this is that. Um, so it's hard to say no to that kind of thing. But from the Brewers perspective, I think that they've seen enough from Ashby that um, he's you know, barring injuries and things, kind of a surefire reliever. And um, if if he still turns into a high upside starter, even like a three starter, then this is a bargain. Um, so the downside here is really, really low for the Brewers. There's not much of it. It really is just if, if uh, you know, he like can't play baseball due to an injury starting tomorrow, then yes, this is a good deal for him. But uh, um, if he play, if he goes through any of the normal pitcher progressions, even the low side of it, this is... Um, at worst fair money um and at best the brewer's getting a huge deal so i i think it's a i really think it's a team-friendly deal i know that he's getting paid but i don't really think it's player friendly and i think he probably could have done better with a little bit more time so ryan along those lines uh sorry first patreon question from jay google we oh. got to get this in because uh-huh. he paid for it yes, he uh, did. asking for your thoughts on the ashby extension which we just kind of started uh yes. and his second question here is good deal for both people or do the brewers get lucky like they did with freddie so paul we kind of got your I answer say, on that yeah, yeah. I, i'm definitely in the lucky um and freddie is hurt so you know yeah <laughs> but uh, yes yeah, so I, I would say this this is a, a team win here yeah it's very team friendly I think it's important to note that you're talking about the five years of control are the five years that they're guaranteeing him here because he didn't have enough service last year, obviously, to get to one year of service. So this year is his first year of control. So you have beyond that five more years. So basically, they just guaranteed him up until free agency. And then they got those two option years beyond that, which will allow them to take him a couple more years beyond that point and to a, a very reasonable price or yeah. to just say you know what we're done with you and buy <laughs> at that point so yeah there's this is totally a team friendly thing and it is a perfect example of a thing that people have talked about which is guys only have one career they have one life they have one career they have to maximize their return and make their bets accordingly. You know what I mean? You For Aaron Ashby, like you said, this is life-changing money. It's $20 million guaranteed. And, you know, he wasn't guaranteed that money three days ago. Now he yep. is. So the team, though, because they have a lot of money and have a lot of revenue that is going to continue to come in, no matter what happens to Aaron Ashby, can bet and say, okay, we can, we can take the risk here that maybe he is going to go all Jonathan Singleton and become terrible and useless and if that happens okay we've lost some money but that doesn't alter the franchise's fortunes it it just for context this entire amount of guaranteed money is less than one year of what they're paying christian yelich right so they have the ability to do this and to eat the the risk basically to take on that risk and say we we're just not worried about that and so from that perspective like, I guess both sides can be happy here. And Ashby, to be fair, pitchers are a little bit weird because until they start actually making money, they have to kind of worry about their ability to get there because pitchers can just break down and yeah. be- can become useless and then start getting DFA'd. And once that merry-go-round starts, 
those guys have a very hard time of ever getting any sort of significant money at that point. So the fact that he's guaranteed himself the 20 million and has risked that he could potentially be giving away these two free agent years for significantly less than he could, you know, potentially get on the open market. Yes, but ultimately like if the if it comes to fruition here, uh he's probably lost it, like worst case scenario for him, he becomes like a a really good major league starter pretty quickly and he's looking at having lost in the the total of this deal something in the neighborhood of 70 million or something and but he still will have banked if it all works out he still ends up banking the 46 million yeah so it's yes there's there's some risk involved on his end but given just the the inherently risky act of pitching i think that you can make a case that this like is sort of justified that the brewers aren't making away like total bandits here the way that we've presumed that they are with freddie even though as james pointed out he's now hurt and we don't know what that future is going to hold for him what this is going to look like long term especially now that the shoulder is in question the fact that it was a shoulder injury really makes you wonder so well, with Ashby too, we we had a hot second there where we thought he was headed for Tommy John. Johnville, yep. right? That like, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder if that opened his eyes to the reality of things too, and said, "Oh, this could easily turn south for me before I even get to arbitration, right? So why not just take that money?" Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that health scare changed his mindset about this, or you know, changed his agent's recommendations or whatever discussion that has happened there. Wouldn't be at all surprised if if that injury uh, scare has loomed large in this whole discussion. Yeah. It really would not be surprising at all. All right. Uh, second Patreon question sort of dealing with this piece of news this week comes from Bob Peterson asking, does Ashby's extension make it more or less likely we're going to trade him? Uh, I guess my gut reaction is probably less now that they've got him cost controlled. But Paul, that'd be a, a nice little prize of a contract to give to Washington for Juan Soto, right? Uh, I mean, sure, yes, but it does make it <laughs> makes it less likely. You don't give guys deals um, like this specifically to, to trade, go out and trade them. Um, doesn't yeah. necessarily take you off the table for a trade, but this is you know you projecting the value that this person will give you over the course of the deal and then coming to terms on a deal. So. Um, this is definitely a, um, a a keep you kind of thing, not a trade you kind of thing. Yeah, and even if there's no no trade clause here, and there I'm sure there isn't because guys at this stage of their careers don't get no trade clauses in deals. Like that's, I'm pretty sure there's no no trade clause here. Yeah, that would be unusual. <laughs> but there's kind of a no trade clause. Like you don't do a deal like this and then immediately turn around like within the literal next two weeks and and trade him. Because then good luck trying to get the next guy to sign this deal. Yeah. If all of a sudden, you know, they know that like, oh, I could sign this deal in two weeks later. I'm on the Washington Nationals, you know, losing 100 games. Great that you screw you, you know, so you you do have to be somewhat careful about this uh, in terms of, of dealing. And what did I say to you guys in the chat? Yeah, I guess this made it go down from like 3% to 1%. Right. Like the chance of him getting traded. He was very unlikely to be traded before this happened. And I guess he's less likely now, but I don't think it really moved the needle 
very much because the there wasn't the needle was already pretty much buried on the e like it 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 was very low already <laughs> it, it didn't have that much further to go so i guess it made it less likely but yeah yeah i i guess it's just sort of signaling right like we think that he's one of the guys to help us in a post Woodruff and Burns world, right? Like, cause that, yeah. that contract will take them past that point of control for those guys and, yep. and kind of signals like, Hey, we think you're the future. Let's have you stick around. You and Freddie can kind of be the, the next front men, I guess, and, and see how that goes. But um, yeah, definitely don't see them trading that because yeah, it, it's not a good faith move at that point, but Hey, if the team stinks and they need to rebuild in a few years, maybe we'll see. We can evaluate that down the road too. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. I guess similar to the Freddie Peralta contract too, because we definitely talked about this back then. But Luke Zimmerman has a question on maybe some other guys who could be up for extensions, because um, you know it's just natural to think, okay, who are the other candidates? So Luke's asking, what are the odds of seeing contract? extensions or arbitration year buyouts for Luis Urias and or Willie Adamas in the near future. There don't seem to be middle infield prospects at double A AA or triple A beating down the door for promotion to the majors. So I think that's, that's kind of the natural next look, right? Um, I think especially Adamas, if you think uh, right, Paul, if he's going to be kind of a centerpiece of a lineup, you want to get him locked in, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I assume they'll probably look at both of those. I, I could see, Adamas being a little trickier to get done just because I could see him being a little bit more likely to bet on himself, um, got himself out of the the bad batter's eye and, and instantly <laughs> got better. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, young, controllable, and up the middle is the Brewers' MO, and um, I'm sure that they would love to work on those and get you know cost-controlled extensions done for both both guys who are you know two of the more valuable offensive pieces on a team that really needs their valuable offensive pieces around because if they don't uh things start to look quite a bit uglier so um yeah both are good to build around willie Thomas, of course you know if you have a shortstop that can hit um even if he's not a superstar you know good hitting uh shortstops don't grow on trees and uh, uh they would be i'm sure that they're high on the priority list for them and you know they're, they'll be expensive especially adamas if he go, you know he will be a pricey guy as a free agent if he gets to be a free agent yeah, I want to quibble with the premise of the question just a little bit here because yeah. Bryce Terang and all his Bryce Teranginess does yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah. And he is going to be in the major leagues relatively soon. I think we will probably – we all thought we were going to see him at some point this year, and it hasn't happened yet. I think the timing of those injuries and whatever just didn't work out in his favor. But I think we are going to see him relatively soon. And one of the things that he does bring to the table is defensive versatility and just – overall defensive goodness up the middle. So I think he is a guy there. And let's not also miss on the fact that the Brewers just took two guys who play up the middle, who are in college, who are expected to move quickly uh, in the, the top of this year's draft in both Eric Brown and uh, uh, Dayton Moore's kid. Dayton Moore's kid. Yeah, Dayton Moore's <laughs> kid. Sorry, I'm blanking at Robert. Is it Robert Moore? Maybe Rob Moore. I think that, that sounds right. But whatever. Both are guys who are expected to maybe move quick and potentially be uh, major league middle infielders in not too long a time period. So there is something going on here. But if I had to bet, 
my money would be by this time next year, really by like the end of like April of next year, because extension season, part of this Ashby thing being weird is this isn't really extension season. You don't right. see a lot of it, like midsummer extensions for guys. That's true. This this really surprised everybody. It came out of the blue. Um, mm-hmm. We have seen a few. I know that uh, Ryan McMahon from the Rockies, the third baseman, he signed an extension <laughs> in like May, maybe. Maybe it was even into June. So that it does happen a little bit, but the extension time is really coming out of spring training, or like in spring training, and then you know in April you'll you'll often see big contract extensions done. And my guess is by this time next year, one of those guys has signed an extension. Sure. And I would probably, I would prefer Adamus, but I would probably suspect it's more likely to be Urias. But we'll have to wait and see on that. It's it's just going to sort of be dependent on, you know, all the other things that are happening. It, we're in a very influx time for the roster coming up here so it's going to be interesting to see the decisions that they make and the directions they decide to go here in the next you know year sure and you know like terrain could easily slide in and be colton long's replacement at some point at second base um you know you you mentioned some of the others but also tyler black hitting 281 406 424 at high a and could move up real quick too yeah Um, thank you good point because keith law mentioned him on the podcast with jr this last week and as being one of the brewers very top prospects and i think we probably undersell that a little bit i'm going to talk to when we do the the minor league extra this week i'm going to talk to james about that because tyler black is looking like a pretty legitimate guy and he is like you said he's hitting in high a right now that generally isn't super far away from the major leagues if you're hitting in high a you're you 400 know, obp too is like eye-popping too yep. so that's that's really good certainly <laughs> something that they could use in this lineup right now exactly exactly so uh yeah definitely a lot to look forward there too all right i guess speaking of positions that aren't as strong our next patreon question comes from pj wessels He's asking, or at least referencing, a Jay Jaffe piece over at Fangraphs recently, uh, saying he's starting a series of blogs about teams not replacing players in a lineup, going position by position. I think he called it the replacement level killers. Um, so of the nine positions in a lineup, how many do the Brewers feature in, do you think? Already one at first base, although I think... All of us kind of were talking before we hit the record button here and and started officially, but we all kind of have quibbles with including Rowdy Telez in the first base thing. Um, Also notably because the Brewers have a 110 WRC plus at first base, which is by definition above average, above replacement level. Yes. Uh, And Telez is no slouch defensively either. Like his defensive metrics are pretty good. He's fine. So (laughs) in his defense, he's writing at Fangraphs and his defensive metrics at Fangraphs are, in fact, abysmal. Um, So Hmm. I didn't realize that (laughs) (laughs) he he is a negative 8.3 runs defensively um, per Fangraphs. How? Rowdy? I mean, he he makes quite a few plays over there. He's he's pretty adept around the bag and. Scoops balls, and I know his other defensive metrics. (laughs) But, like, foot speed at first base is, you know. Is he good or is he Prince Fielder good where he's better uh, than expected? We have very different subjective (laughs) um, evaluations of Rowdy Tellez, you and I. I I think he is an abysmal defender, and I I see him miss a lot of plays that he should make. 
Uh, I, I think he kind of sucks. Um, let's see. He's negative uh, 0.7 runs uh, of war. Negative uh, 0.7 wins at reference. So also not good there. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, sorry. I'm pulling up. Uh, fielding runs above average. Yeah, he's a negative run at in or almost two negative runs this year, uh, according to baseball prospectus. Well, that's pretty good, actually. That's that's the best um, metrics he has going for him there. Yeah, he's he's basically average as far as that goes. But now you've got me wondering because I <laughs> my yeah, my <laughs> perception of it is maybe it is what James is saying is that my expectations for a man of his my heft um, would be <laughs> like would be that he would suck a lot more than he does. And it was kind of the way that like every time Jesus Aguiar would go and yes. make a, a, a stretch for a ball like I would feel the pain in my own re man region down there because I'm looking at it going, I don't know how that man could make that stretch and not tear every tendon loose from the bone. Like every single thing should have popped right there and it didn't. And he'd be just fine. So I feel like um, he makes basic mistakes other, other than just not uh, getting where he's supposed to go fast. He, he like doesn't always stretch the right way uh, at first and has to like reach back to get balls, especially that are over on the third base side. Um, like he's hustling to get his glove out and then it's not quite on. Um, he's not good at double plays. He's had a few nice scoops lately. I, I don't like, it. I know earlier this season when, uh, when Dan Zimborski was running zips, he runs uh, every player at every position just for funsies on zips. And I know that, uh, Rowdy Telez was the worst shortstop in, in all of baseball, <laughs> uh, per zips. Uh, and I, think, I, think, I love that. I think that checks out. So, I mean, uh, at shortstop, I would imagine he would be quite terrible. So I yes. I do agree with that. Looking at this, yeah, okay. Fielding Bible has him as the 31st ranked first baseman. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great at all. So, okay. I I withdraw my previous comment on that. I, I will I will take the L on that one. All right. All right. Defense aside, aside, though. Aside yeah. from that, um, <laughs> The, the thing with the, the first base is like the, the assumption is that it's easy to upgrade at first base, but that's that's only partially true. Um, it's easy to get guys like Rowdy Telez at first base. Um, last year, the Brewers had Dan Vogelbach at first place or at first base, and uh, some other team just decided to upgrade their first base position by getting Dan Vogelbach. Um, <laughs> And that's that's what you're looking at here. And so uh, the odds of any given available first baseman being an improvement over Telez are the same as Telez playing better down the stretch. So uh, it's um, it's uh, it's not. A, by the way, he is the worst Fangraphs position player by war on the team. So to answer the second part of the question, um, I'm not sure there'll be too many other Brewers on here because it's hard to make a case that the rest of the offense is a bunch of replacement killers other than Rowdy on here. I mean, Jonathan Davis is the next lowest, but he's ahead of Telez and hasn't played that much. And, and you know, it certainly brings defensive value, if nothing else. Well, um, remember, they're going by position here. They're not going by the person. Right, so but he'll have center field later. And he'll I mean, he'll honestly, center field is probably the next best answer. Because, yeah. mm -hmm. But I mean, they, they've already moved on from Kane and they're moving people around and shifting people there. Mm -hmm. So they've made they've already dealt with this to some extent and could do more. Um, you know, Taylor's. Uh, 0.7 Fangraphs war though and certainly again not a replacement level killer for the same reason uh, I, I think the next most likely person on there is actually probably Wong I was going to um, say second base yeah. it's center field and then it's second base in, yep. in terms of likelihood yeah yeah 
that that would be that would be the big one because Colton's been brutal this year. So I think that's one where they could upgrade. But you know, you, you can again futz around with moving Urias over there and playing various guys at third and still be pretty good there too. Well, I have to be pedantic with you about it because brutal. <laughs> like Colton Wong has a one hundred two OPS plus. I mean, he's been offensively, but, he's been so above average. You are right about that, but he has sucked something awful on defense. Yeah, and that's weird because that's his calling card, yep. and he's always been really, really good defensively. So it's extremely strange that he's been bad defensively this year, and I, I want to not trust that that will continue just because there isn't a history for it. There's no there's no historical record here to say that Colton Wong is just going to like and it's not even the yips, but it's almost like he has the yips. It's it's a very strange thing because this has really kind of come out of nowhere, and he's had a, a rough defensive season, and it's going to – I think it's why he's going to end up on this list if he does. I don't know. I haven't looked at the defensive metrics on that, but, like, if it Negative is, it won't be because of his offense. Graphs, so, yeah, not great. Okay, yeah. So if he ends up on the list, it will be because of the defense, not because of the offense, which I think – even like two months ago, we would have said that sounds crazy, and now we're living it. So it's a bizarre, bizarre world we're living in right now with uh, Colton <laughs> Wong and his defense. Yeah, it, I think that would be my bet for the next one too, and really the only other obvious one, right? Because everybody else is is, is pretty solid, um, as we've talked about <laughs> up and down that lineup. All right, next Patreon question uh, comes from Justin C and asking. Uh, is this the year the fan base turns on Craig and Stearns when we sneak into a wild card spot and pull a Nationals type run? So I think there's diff two different aspects to this, right? Like, I feel like the negativity has kind of been brooding a little bit more about this team online this year. And we do have another question about that coming up in a little bit here. But I guess similar, he he's referring to the Nationals, which... Uh, yeah, the Nationals fans were not happy with their manager or their front office, and then they went in on a crazy run and won the World Series. So, uh, Paul, anything can happen, right? Yeah. Um, I, well, we, we talk about this all the time. All you have to do is make the playoffs and get hot. Um, the, the one problem with the Brewers this year has been that they've been bad against good teams, and that's what the playoffs are full of. But it's really random. Uh, small series are just completely random, and once you're in, that's your chance to win it. Uh, I have... Definitely noticed more hostility towards council than ever before. Um, uh, to the extent anything's wrong with the Brewers, I really do think it's it's luck in front office. I mean, a lot of it's Yelich, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is just that they do have budget constraints. Um, you know, whether you view those as legitimate or not, they're, they play in Milwaukee, and they have them. Um, but I, I have seen much more on council, and I still think that that's ridiculous that's just it's Rube. so weird that's yeah. just rubes blaming the manager because that's what rubes do and if you don't like counsel that's what you are doing just so you know um <laughs> you are a rube <laughs> you are a rube if you do that um council manages the team as best it can be managed even 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 though it's got some flaws um but yeah i i, I don't know if they're gonna go on a run but i do think that they are um, starting to get into that, um, okay, you make the playoffs, now show me what else you got level, and that does come with some extra scrutiny on the front office and the manager, whether it's justified or not. Uh, it's there. I've seen it. So when Mike Brasso got pinch hit for today, the guys who were having a very stupid conversation, a few fan groups down for me today, 
uh, were complaining about how Craig Council, oh, it's just push button manager, just oh, you have a lefty in, so now you bring in the right, and like as the guys get trying to get this out of his pie hole, uh, Brusso ends up what was it doubling in the tying run or whatever it was. He he had a very successful at bat and yeah, and and the guy just like immediately cut off mid sentence and didn't even finish his thought, <laughs> and it was it was pretty great because it was like yeah, he brought in the. The, the guy who's it worked. better for this situation than the guy he had in the game, and he immediately has success. And you hate him because I don't know he he's a push button manager or something. I, I don't even know. Yeah, there's a lot of, and I think you're right about this. That if you want to lay blame somewhere here, honestly, I think it would even go above the front office. If you want to lay blame about this team. It is the budget that David yeah. Stearns has been given because I think That's Stearns correct. has done about what he can do in this budget range. And Council certainly gets, you know, very close to the most he possibly can out of the players at his disposal. So any complaint you might have, I think, needs to go to the very, you know, top of the food chain on this one. And yeah, I I think that it would be wonderful if they did that. So let's all hope that that happens, that they go ahead and win the World Series. Yep. I, I'm for that. I'm pro World Series win. All right. Our next Patreon question, pretty much related to the, the previous one from Justin, but Chris Richards is asking about something that, Paul, you kind of just brought up. Do you think at least a portion of the fan negativity surrounding the Brewers might be linked to the adage, expectations are premeditated resentments? <laughs> Yeah, Chris and I have been talking about this. He he mentioned this on the old Sports Bubbler uh, website decades ago. And ever since, he and he quoted it. It's a quote from someone. I'm not sure who it's from, but it, it is perfect. And it is exactly what like sports fandom really is. And it's the thing that maybe I, I just don't have about for, sports fandom that most people seem to. Because it drives me nuts. It just absolutely <laughs> makes me insane to watch people get like, viscerally angry at a baseball team that's like doing very well and like if you're a Brewers fan and you have been for a long time you know what it is to suffer you know what it's like to watch shitty baseball and to see bad teams and this is not that this yeah. is not a bad team so the fact that like it, it has to be the expectations of just we we have to win it eventually because that's the whole point of this this whole thing is you have to win <laughs> it eventually and that has to be driving so much of this. And it just, it makes me go loony because I don't, I like somewhere. I just don't, I don't interact with it that way. I guess. I don't know. It's, it's a very, very strange thing. And it, it just absolutely drives me nuts. Um, it drives me nuts a little bit, but uh, I also do understand it. Like, so we do a baseball podcast. I also do a football podcast. We are sort of by necessity, people who look at process over results. Um, it's just kind of how you have to analyze things. And uh, fans don't, I think, have the same expectation and, and really shouldn't. The point is to win the World Series. I think from our perspective, the point is that's really hard to do um, on purpose. You, know, like you can't spend enough money to make yourself win the World Series. The, the, I mean, the Dodgers basically try to do that every year and, and occasionally. It took them it, 30 years to yeah. do it, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so, uh, uh, like, we think like that, but part of the point of being a fan is to see your team win the World Series. And um, like, I won't excuse like lazy thinking or, or being a rube, but you know, this is entertainment, and the ultimate goal of it is to actually get the whole thing done. <laughs> so I, I don't have the expectation that everybody looks at this like I do. I, frankly, I'm 
as I mentioned on the football podcast multiple times, I'm a miserable person to watch a football game with. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I spend a lot of the time just commenting on whether that was a stupid play or not and not based on how if it worked or not, just <laughs> based on like, well, that that's not what you should do here. We have lots of research that shows you shouldn't do that here. <laughs> it's, it's very, very, very annoying. Um, so I, I'm kind of okay with it, but that is what's going on here is, is they have high expectations. They've made the playoffs a lot. They have a great pitching staff or started the season with one and and have a good manager, and that should turn into something more tangible than the wild card or getting knocked out in the first round at some point in the minds of fans. That's I think that's fine. It's just that the front office shouldn't necessarily run their business in reacting to those fans because the process is very different than the entertainment that they're providing. Yes, and... The thing here is, is I think it's important to remember, first off, the Brewers did go to the NLCS. They were one game for the World Series. They were. They were, they they were, were close. very close. It's not like this has been a, a run that has been like, we're not the Minnesota Twins here who go in and get their ass slapped by the Yankees in three games and then they're done. That's not <laughs> what's happening here. The Brewers have, have been competitive in a lot of these these games and a lot of these, these series and even you know won one. But... I think I, I I mean I get that people are frustrated and they want to win the World Series and that that's the ultimate goal. I guess I've so conditioned myself at this point, you know, twenty years on from Moneyball, where I basically look at it like the postseason is just a random crapshoot, and you I I just can't like take anything away from it. Like I don't look at I I, I know a lot of people look at it and they go, well, the Braves last year they deserve to win that World Series because you know they got you know like better down the stretch or some people will find ways to justify why the Braves weren't really like you their record may have said they were the 11th best team in the playoffs but they were really <laughs> better than that and people will go to a lot of lengths to try to convince themselves of that that they they weren't just lucky they were good they were asked for half the year the Nationals right. were asked for half a year like yeah mm -hmm. exactly and I think that's usually bullshit like it's people trying to tell themselves that the world is ordered in a way that it's really not that the things have more meaning than just, you know, random chance. And yeah. a lot of things are really random chance. And so you can't take and make big, bold uh, conclusions out of all this stuff. But ultimately, if you're looking at this, like, uh, you know, from the perspective of it, maybe the thing that bothers me the most is once people get to the point where anything short of a title is a disappointment and it's a failure, well, only one team out of 30 can win a title in baseball every year. So does that mean there are 29 failures and one success? Because if that's what we're doing here, then I guess I understand why everybody is so damn miserable about <laughs> baseball these days. Because apparently everything is just failure. It's all failure. There's no success. There's no happiness. It's all just, you know, what is it? The the Sam Miller line. It's all just the, the slog to rigor mortis. Like, <laughs> you know, it... <laughs> Really, like, come on, it's baseball. We do this for fun. And I know it can be frustrating at times, but, you know, if you're not going to enjoy the wins, then at a certain point, it's like, why, why? I, I don't understand why some people do it, why they put themselves through it, why they subject themselves to it. If the wins bring you no joy at all, then it's like, what, what are we even doing here? It's just, you know, it's just misery for misery's sake, I guess. I, I don't even know. Then you're a Packers fan where a win is a relief and not happiness and, and a loss is the worst thing in the world. And mm -hmm. I guess, luckily, Packers training camp starts next week. So a lot of the people <laughs> complaining about it uh, oh, will boy. stop paying attention to the Brewers. 
Um, <sighs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah, I, I mean, I've even seen some of that or been called out for that on, on Twitter in the last week for, oh, why are you excusing bad play? I'm sick of you guys carrying water for the team for mediocre play X, Y, Z. And it's, I don't know, man. Like We've part of it is quite a bit. They're very boring and still very boring. Yeah, but that no. That's a separate question from are they winning games and are they going to make the playoffs? Like, I mean, I'm on here like every week saying, yeah, I watched maybe half the games this week because I can't. <laughs> it sucks. I'm I'm not entertained. It's fine. I, have, but, I was like, I was entertained this week. They were they yeah. were after they, the last three games were were entertaining in various ways. So I'll yeah, because they actually <laughs> hit. There were runs scored. It was fun. Uh, but those runs do not count, James, because they were scored against oh. the Rockies. So it's 25 sure. runs that did not happen. Sure, sure. Okay, right. But I mean, like, I think the, the root of this question is is the issue, right? Like, people set that expectation so high, like, oh, they've been to the playoffs and they need to win a World Series. Otherwise, everything's a failure. You need to fire counsel and get somebody who can win in the playoffs and X, Y, Z. But, like, any rational person looking at this team heading into the year we're like okay yeah they're gonna win the division but they're not very good you know they're mm -hmm. it would be kind of unreasonable to expect them to win a world series this year if it happens great but i mean the offensive pizzas weren't there so i i don't know what the the the, the ones that are so <laughs> upset what they expected because this is kind of playing out exactly at least as as we kind of thought it would right very close to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the main thing that we got wrong is that the general offensive profile of the league is so down that even though mo most of their offensive players are about average, it just looks horrible. Mm -hmm. But right, but that's it. That's kind of it. Like the the stupid ball and um, whatever else is going on to make offense down has done a number on just the the enjoyability of watching Brewer offense for the most part. Well, and I think just the fact that. Going into the year, we assumed that the pitching was going to carry them and the offense would sort of define how good they could be. Yeah. And instead, what's actually happened is the offense has been better than the, the pitching and the, the run prevention. Like our run scoring right now is well ahead of the, the runs uh, allowed in, in yeah. terms of like the ranking. And I don't think anybody really saw that coming, though. It as insane as that is, that is in fact true. I <laughs> if I had told you before the season, though, that we would be without Brandon Woodruff for six weeks, that we would be without Freddie yep. Peralta for a couple months, that uh -huh. Adrian Hauser would go down, yep. that Aaron Ashby would do a stint on the IL. If I said it, that Josh Hader has a has a ERA plus under one hundred, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And if I said all of those things were going to happen before the season. And then told you that the offense was going to drive everybody nuts. You would say they're ten games under five hundred right now, and you know yep. they're ten games over. So guess what? There is a lot more talent here than I think some people want to acknowledge, and there's a lot more like depth in this construction, and that's you know the, it, which is how David Stearns builds this thing. Like that's how they do it. Is they do it through depth. And we sort of acknowledged before the season, we talked about, hey, look at Pakoda. Pakoda was projecting that they had like 12 guys who were going to be above average or within shouting distance of average offensively. Yeah, that's true. That is what Pakoda said. Pakoda said it. Here it is. Right. And yep. it, it still's making everybody insane. So I, sometimes I just throw up my hands and I go, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not what a lot of us grew up expecting good baseball to look like right and mm -hmm. uh i mean if you 
click around to some other games and watch some other teams, you you quickly realize, oh, the Brewers aren't special in being frustrating to watch because that's literally everybody but the Yankees this year. So there you go. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next question comes from Price Trozen, who's asking, with all the talk about needing a center field, speaking of upgrades, we don't hear Corey's rate. Corey Ray's name at all. Is it time for a change of scenery for him if he is not going to get a shot? Um, so, you know, he was DFA'd earlier this year, outright to AAA. Uh, Ryan, pretty much, I guess, mm-hmm. an indicator that the, the Brewers think, eh, maybe this guy's not quite what we thought. Well, and Price, I don't know, you did just sign up and thank you for your contribution, but uh, I feel like we've talked about this for a while now that, like, it was time for a change of scenery like two years ago for him. If not, like maybe last year, we were we at least have been talking about it since then. So yeah, yeah, it's, they broke him it's long been a ago. while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just one of those things. It's a it's a draft pick that didn't work, and it's always really hard to parse whether or not it is a nature or nurture question. Did they did they get a guy that just was not ever going to be a good major leaguer, or did they fail to turn him into one? And we'll never really know. So I guess we could find out if he goes to another team and suddenly find success. I guess that would probably tell us quite a bit. But I think that the odds on that at this point are increasingly long. Nothing to add to that. Um, <laughs> Corey Ray is just not good. Uh, it, it's, it's actually pretty rare to pick the best college bat available and not have him turn into at least something. But uh, that is what he is. And it's pretty clear at this point that he's just not going to figure it out in Milwaukee. And it looks like yep. the Brewers may well have done that two years in a row because Keston Hero was the same thing the next year. And yeah, that's I mean, the difference I, uh, is Keston Hero has had a lot more success than Corey Ray. Obviously, Keston Hero yeah. is a much, much, much better outcome by orders of magnitude than yeah, what it, Corey Ray is. I feel like you can you can also see in Keston's bats uh, like what was there. Like it's it, there's pop in that bat, it, you know, contact notwithstanding when he makes contact, there's something there. Um, the bat was always was going to get into the pros, not defense. Ray was just uh, different. <laughs> and uh, uh, just, uh, I think an unusual best college hitter. I, I feel like he mm-hmm. was the, the best college hitter is uh, looks like almost a professional hitter. Um, and Corey Ray wasn't that. He was actually kind of a toolsy best college hitter, mm-hmm. um, which is unusual and maybe was a sign at the time that he's not going to have the same development as oh was Chris Bryant the best college hitter a couple of years before that mm-hmm. yeah like yep. like that you know he never looked like that so um that's i think maybe the lesson to take away from and i, I think here is a different different thing but yeah Ray's just i, I don't not going to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep and and Keith Law will never forgive the Brewers breaking Corey Ray so mm-hmm. yep, there you go. Oh, <laughs> All right. Next uh, Patreon question comes from Mark Podscarby. As referenced earlier, Big Dan just got traded from Pittsburgh to the Mets. His Heck WRC yeah. plus went, is went from second to home in eight seconds tonight. Yes. Go watch the go watch the video. Oh, See, five tool player. That's yep, speed. Absolutely. You, you can't teach that. All right. Uh, <laughs> his WRC plus is one eighteen at, at the time he wrote this. Considering he was working with Andy Haynes in Pittsburgh and Milwaukee. Does that just mean Milwaukee is cursed? So uh, I, I I don't know. I, I mean, I, there's the thing with Big Dan was right. He he's got 
admittedly a limited skill set, but he did those things pretty well. And I mean, we saw flashes of it in Milwaukee, but also it was small sample sizes and Pittsburgh just didn't care. And they gave him a chance to play every day. Right, Paul? So maybe that's kind of where he flourished a little bit. But hey, good for him landing on a contender. It's just random stuff with Dan Vogelbach. And uh, so if you don't take the ball and whatnot into account, he's actually not been that much better for Pittsburgh than he was for Milwaukee uh, at all. He had a 730 OPS in 2021 for us. Mm. He has he has a 769 OPS this year. Um, that is better. That is good for way more OPS plus because of the way the league is is going. But um, he he always he fluctuates a lot um, just based on if his home runs leave the park and if he happens to make a little more contact than normal. During his little COVID stint there with the Brewers, when he was like poking the ball the other way and he, he made his OBP like soar above 400. Uh, Bill Schroeder's favorite player that time. Yeah. <laughs> he was <laughs> like that. That's a nice adjustment, but not something you can build a turnaround on. And he has good bat control. He's just, you know, he, he is limited and he's got to knock the ball out of the park to be valuable. And a lot of that's just dependent on the pitchers you face and the handedness of the pitchers you face and the parks you play in and things like that that are kind of out of your control. So, Dan's Dan's fine. He's exactly what he always has been and will continue to be that player until he retires. Yeah, it just still blows my mind that I think at least at one point, I don't know if he still is, had like the lowest swing rate in the league, too. So he he did. uh, Yeah. You know, at least he was finding his pitches to drive. Right. But uh, he still does, by the way. That hasn't changed. Yeah. So. I guess very Metsy in that way too. So I'll, I guess we'll see how he does at, at DH for the Mets. Uh, but yeah, just kind of interesting that the, the Pirates were able to kind of spin him for something. And hey, yep. yeah, Andy Haynes maybe uh, clicked with something there after a couple of years of getting to know him uh, previously to Pittsburgh. So hey, good for him. But I don't know. I, I, I still think Rowdy was probably the right the right call there at first base for the Brewers even though I will always have a soft spot for Big Dan. But. My opinion on that is it just doesn't matter. You could have done either, and you would have gotten <laughs> pretty much exactly the same results. Um, Probably. And I, 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 I go, go go look at Big Dan's stats if you have a moment, because he has one triple for his career, which was this year at a game I was at. I got to witness his first career triple. And it's just funny to see zeros from 2016 to 2021. It's a lot It's a lot of seasons with <laughs> no triples. Of seasons with no triples. And then to get one in your age 29 season with, with Dan's body is is a, a good feat. Maybe he's been working out. Maybe, maybe he's Especially been Especially considering he, he played in Seattle. That's a huge outfield. Yeah, he should have gotten so one like, in Seattle just randomly. Like, yeah. just off the bad carom off the wall gets you a triple. Like <laughs> playing, at, playing at the trap a couple of times, you know, like just hit one off the catwalk. I don't yep. know. Whatever. All right. Uh, next Patreon question is Devin Bearwolf this week uh, asking. So I've been getting this horrible feeling that the Cardinals are going to trade for Juan Soto. Knock on wood, they don't. Please reassure me that the Cardinals won't have the prospect and player package to get him or that they're set in the outfield and don't want him. Well, Devin, I have bad news because John Heyman <laughs> reported earlier today before we recorded this, that uh, many rival execs, the famous rival execs, think the Cardinals have the best chance at landing him. Ryan, why might that be? Well, so it is, I guess, from a lot of perspectives, potentially likely they do have the players to give up for him. They could make a trade package that would get them Juan Soto. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They have the young talent. And if they're willing to give on, you know, your Nolan Gormans, your 
I guess Matthew Libertor is probably even below that line. But from a number, they have Jordan Walker. They have a number of good young prospects kind of high up in the system. Mason Wynn, weirdly spelled Mason. He, he has one of those Ys in his name, a random Y in a name. I don't know anybody else like that. So, so annoying. Yeah, so, so strange. People. No, no. <laughs> shifty. They're, they're shifty people. Right. So all of that is is true. They could do it. Here's why I don't think they will and why, if they did, it would be a bad idea for them. Okay? Okay. <laughs> what this comes down to is team construction. And right now, if you go over to Cots Baseball Contracts, yeah. you look at their, their, uh, their team right now. And for the next two years, so for the life of Juan Soto's team control from 23 to 24, you have... Uh, Nolan Arenado making 35 million both of those years, and you have Paul Goldschmidt making 25 million. So right there, you have 60 million tied up to two in, in awesome players. Yes, in good <laughs> offensive players, they're good offensive players. And I guess you know Arenado's a good all around player. And I guess Goldschmidt's a pretty good defender at first, as far as that goes. So you have that He's much money, old, though. Yeah, but the Cardinals would have to substantially take out a bunch of their their good young talent that they have to make this trade happen. And then they would have, because I think Juan Soto is going to be making well in excess of $25 million on average over the next two years, you're pretty much instantly looking at, okay, so now the Cardinals are paying their top three hitters $100 million plus a year. Yeah, that gets really hard unless they're going to all of a sudden change. Because right now they're, they're a team that stays – significantly short of the luxury tax threshold they uh 179 this year in terms of of payroll unless they're going to start running 230s and 240s out there it's going to be real hard especially with the presumed retirement of adam wainwright and you know other things that are happening here they don't have a lot of starting pitching to begin with and they don't mm -hmm. other than matthew libertor really have any guys kind of close that seem like they're going to be good starting pitchers you always have to worry about Cardinal Devil Magic, but yeah, you do. <laughs> it, it tends actually Cardinal Devil Magic tends to be more position players over the years than it has pitching. Like Lance Lynn is kind of the the most Cardinal Devil Magic-y yeah. that starting pitching. I guess you could look at guys like Kyle Loesch, but that was you know that was Dave Duncan yeah. stuff. That was they got the right coach with the right player and you know turned him into something. But anyway. I think that this would be really limiting to St. Louis. They would have a fantastic middle of the lineup and you would dread playing them because that middle of the lineup could do so much damage to you. But you also could see them losing a lot of games like eight to six because mm. they just don't have a lot of pitching depth. And this would make it that much harder for them to get pitching depth because they'd have all their resources tied up in those three guys. So... I don't think that it's like the four alarm fire that everybody else seems to think it is, though there is always the worry that, okay, if they decide to go get him and then convince him to sign, you know, an extension that would be significantly less than what Washington just offered him because he likes being right. there. Yeah. Right. That's the nightmare scenario is that he would sign some sort of bargain basement extension. But that seems unlikely too. I think he's a Boris client and I think he wants to, go get the most money possible. And so I think if, even if it does happen, I wouldn't worry about it that much. It'll be a pain in the ass and it will be, there will be a lot of screaming and a lot of high <laughs> profile gnashing of teeth about it. But 
I, it just, it, I, I find it hard to believe that it's the best way for them to construct their roster, given what they already have on board. Yeah, I'm yeah. just sick of the Cardinals landing every top trade chip for peanuts. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm just so, convinced that would that's what would happen. Yeah, um, I, I think it would be terrifying if that happened and would give them a huge boost up this year and think that there's at least a decent chance that it might um, because while they're not a super rich team, they can plausibly also pay him and so would be interested in at least getting a look and maybe extending him then. And again... Um, Yes, it costs a lot to pay Juan Soto in arbitration, but it costs way less than it would to pay him in free agent markets true value. So I still think it's the kind of thing you do. And if it pushes your payroll uh, close to the luxury tax threshold, I think you just say, fine, um, you're getting a huge bargain on your team uh, in a year or two. You can turn around and trade it back if you want to, or you can work out an, you know, an extension or whatever. But like, uh, it's the kind of thing that terrifies me about them because they're great at filling holes with no prospects or with guys we don't know about or with just mm -hmm. making guys up who didn't turn out to be good for no reason. So um, I'm, I would be very scared if that happened. It would annoy me and it would be crap for the Brewers for at least two and a half years. Yeah. Can't wait for the, the Cardinals to get Juan Soto and run a $230 million payroll and still get competitive balance draft picks. Because... Oh, of course. Oh. Got to get those, gotta get those competitive <laughs> balance draft picks. You know it. <laughs> Them in the bars. Right. It just it yes. drives me to Freaking no end brave. of aggravation. Well, and the All A's right. got back on the dole after being yeah. kicked off. Yep. Uh, I know that's a sore spot, Ryan. Sorry. But all right. Uh, one more Cardinal related question uh, this week comes from Adam Post. Uh, noteworthy because the Brewers hold a slim NL Central lead and the Cardinals are going to Canada this week and we learned that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are not welcome in Canada uh, because <laughs> of their personal health choices so Adam's asking Goldschmidt and Arenado both being unvaccinated and unable to play in Toronto is almost too on brand for the Cardinals isn't it I will just step aside and let you guys handle this so yeah, it is. Um, and not surprising that that is the, uh, not that the Brewers don't have a couple of those guys because they definitely do. But uh, this I, I feel like it's very Cardinals both to have this and to have it be like awesome guys on the team that, that you know, it's drawn. It draws a lot of attention. Um, so super annoying. I, I do. A couple, I want to point out a couple things. Um, first of all, I've seen this um, portrayed by a lot of people as sort of the Canada law that, you know, people aren't allowed to go to Canada if they're unvaccinated. Uh, and I want to point out that this is reciprocal. Um, the, uh, you're not allowed to come here either if you're not vaccinated. The Blue Jays um, have to have all their players who play in the United States vaccinated as well. It's about inter-country movement and reducing the spread of disease between nations. So that, that's what it is. So this isn't like Canada just being jerks. And I know everybody says, yes, the Blue Jays have this huge home field advantage. The rules are the same. It, it's really not. It just is a matter of everybody getting in line there and doing what they should do. Like the Yankees are all vaccinated that when they go to play in Toronto, they bring the whole team and you know, good. <laughs> That's what's supposed to happen. And understand the blue Jays have to have everybody vaccinated because anytime they play literally anywhere that isn't Toronto, they have to cross the border into the United States. And yes. so it has limited what they can do on the open market in terms of bringing players in. So they've had this restriction 
to a, a much larger degree than anybody else. So yes, this yeah. isn't like Canada putting one over on the United States. That's not at all. That's extremely yeah incorrect. It's this is this is about international movement and the spread of the. Just get the damn shot. I mean, but come on. I want to. Aside from those two, I want to talk about Miles Mikolas. I don't know how to say his last name because I watch Mikolas. Mikolas is very Greek. Very Greek. Miles Mikolas today, when it being interviewed, said that he wished he wasn't vaccinated. Um, <laughs> he is vaccinated, and so he will go get to play in Toronto and get collect game checks, um, but he wishes he wasn't. And um, Miles Mikolas is a huge coward for doing that because um, there's, no, there's no reason. Uh, like he, he has, by all accounts, not experienced anything worse with the COVID vaccine than the normal side effects um, of soreness for a few days, headaches, whatever. We, you know, if you've had it, you know, um, and not everybody's had it that bad. Um, there's there's no weird symptoms. Uh, one of the two idiots said um, it brought the infertility thing up. There's no evidence that happened. Uh, Arenado brought that up because he's thinking uh, of starting a family soon. Aaron Rodgers did that, too. Just so everybody knows. So. Um, if you are a crazy conspiracy theorist, I'm going to differentiate crazy conspiracy theorist versus kind of cautious conspiracy theorist. If you're a crazy conspiracy theorist, that's fine. That means you think that like uh, it's intentionally poisoned. You know, if you're a big Alex Jones whack job, um, I, I'm not going to get through to you. I, I don't care about you. You're just gone. Um, that's fine. But if, if you uh, are just an overly cautious whack job, you should know um, if if. The, the mRNA vaccines in particular cause infertility. Um, COVID then would also cause infertility because all the mRNA vaccines do is make a chunk of the COVID vaccine and the COVID vaccine has the same chunk. So it'll do the same things to you in terms of causing symptoms. It'll just replicate a lot more and get into more of your organs and things like that. Uh, so um, anyway, Miles Michaelis is a, a huge coward for essentially just bowing to peer pressure of his redneck teammates and in the in, in just just the most weenie way possible of like oh yeah I I wasn't gonna get the COVID vaccine I I, I did it but I, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna do it guys uh, you know they they made me do it I, I, can I hang out with you still so that and uh, just to drive this whole thing home uh, do do either of you know what his, his what his nickname is no you don't I you, do not neither of you know uh, so uh, his nickname is the Lizard King. Now, do you want to know why it is the Lizard King? This is Miles Miklas we're talking about here, right? Yes, it is. It is Miles Miklas we're talking and about. And I take it it doesn't have to do with him being a big Jim Morrison Doors fan? It is not no. any, in any way related to bad music or drugs. That is true. <laughs> You're just leaving a whole lot of bodies in your wake today, Paul. <laughs> so he's called the Lizard King because... Um, in 2011, when he was in the Arizona Fall League, uh, he made a bet with another player in the league that he would eat a lizard um, in the bullpen. <sighs> I've heard of this, which, yes. Which he did, and you can watch him do on YouTube. Uh, point being, hard Miles pass, Nicholas, ball, hard pass. Miles Nicholas is not super careful about what he puts into his body. <laughs> um, and lastly, it's worth noting that his wife, Lauren Nicholas, uh, has several jobs um, that are terrifying when put together. Uh, the, the first one being a certified wellness coach, which is just a <laughs> purveyor of garbage. Uh, second being a UFC ring girl, which, okay, <laughs> fine. And the third that really completes the trifecta is elementary school teacher. Oh, no. So, oh, no. <laughs> Well, so uh, Miles has a lot going on, um, and uh, he is just a huge weenie for for saying that. 
<laughs> oh, that was good, Paul. We haven't had one of those in a while. That was uh, that was tasty. That was spicy. Well, I mean, he's just eating random animals he finds on the ground. <laughs> I forgot about him eating a lizard, and it's on YouTube, and you, you can, can go you watch can it. Go I watch will it. not yeah, watch that there. crap. I'm not going to know. But it is, I have hopefully, heard that it's there, and it's quite hopefully horrifying. Hopefully it didn't get caught in his mustache going down. Uh, and I just traded for him in Dynasty League, too. Uh, silly, silly Well, the good human. news is he's going to make that Blue Jays start, Ryan. So there you go. That's, <laughs> yes. that's fine. So he gets to get his head beat in by uh, Vladito and all the, the assorted Jays power hitters. That's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> good news. All right, let's uh, wrap up <laughs> the Patreon questions with <laughs> with uh, a different different flavor of question. So Tyler Gibson's asking, not really about the Brewers per se, but where would you like to see the MLB relocate, expand, or stay as is? Paul, I imagine you want a couple, two or three more teams in Canada then? Uh, I actually would like more Canadian teams, yes. I think Montreal should have one. Um, they should, like Vancouver could probably handle a team that would be fine. I don't know if they want one. They might not, but... They could do that, but um, I, I, I'm going to say stay the same or maybe even contract a little bit because uh, I think the next thing that they would really want to do is move somebody to Vegas, be it Oakland or somebody else. I know Oakland's building a stadium allegedly, but I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and I don't want there to be a baseball team in Las Vegas. That seems terrible. Um, so stay the same or Canada, but otherwise there are enough teams and maybe too many teams. So they're going to expand. And I think of course that, they will. They get yeah. money for it. This well, is a big topic with Manfred at the All Star break, right? And you know why, guys? Do you know the last time that they expanded in '93 and then in '98? Do you know yeah, why they did the, that? To, well, uh, they get fees and the offense goes up because the pitching's diluted. They got fees. <laughs> why did they want all those big, big franchise fees, Paul? Coming out of the '80s, what happened in the 1980s to all the MLB owners that they wanted to get a big pile of cash? so that they would uh, not have to take a huge loss in the other direction. Oh, did they lose a lawsuit or something? Right. They lost uh, three, $400 million lawsuit. because of collusion. <laughs> oh, the collusion was... Okay, yes. That and it sense. was literally the judgment came down on the collusion thing, and within, I think it was six months or something, they had announced that Time to uh, expand. Colorado and Miami were getting teams. Yep. So you, that's probably coming, given that MLB just signed off, it was either this week or the week before, they signed off on that deal uh, where they are paying back minor leaguers $188 million, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. So, yep, a, uh, a big, hefty, tasty franchise fee or two, because whenever they expand, they have to add two teams. And I'm not actually opposed to that. I think that baseball should continue to grow it should go to more and more markets as there are more and more places that can support an mlb team and i think there are plenty of places you could have a team in portland you could have a team in nashville you could have a team in charlotte uh, i'm sure there's other vegas could support a team i don't know like it it yeah is kind of a desolate hellhole in the summer and yeah i was just there and it was terrible so um <laughs> like i yeah don't recommend that but uh yeah, I think that once they get – see, the reason they like to have Vegas, they always like to have these areas that really want a team and are really pushing for a team. Like for a long time, Tampa was their cudgel to get mm-hmm. teams to build new stadiums. They would use that during the 90s mm-hmm. when they were trying yeah. to get teams to build stadiums. Worked for the Giants. Yep. Yep. It worked for a lot of different teams to get uh, to get stadiums built. And so 
I think that they like to have, you know, Tampa Bay is useful to them for that, or sorry, uh, like having these other markets is useful to them for the purpose of trying to get a stadium out of the Tampa municipality or who else is Oakland. Oakland, Yeah. Yeah. Most teams kind of have their stadia at this point. So whatever, it's just, it's that same old song and dance that they do. But yeah, also just as we go further and further in time, it makes sense that you would have more baseball teams because the number of top-level players that you have available is going to always continue to grow as population grows and as you know interest in the sport grows regionally from area to area. There are a lot more people playing baseball now as children, as potential prospects, than there were even 20 years ago or 40 years ago. We've seen it shrink somewhat in the United States, like the the talent base in the United States has shrunk, but in the rest of the world, it's exploded. So there's actually more big league capable talent in the world now than there ever has been. And therefore, the league should expand to, you know, make room for those players to play, because otherwise you're just not going to have like as good a product as you could. Maybe sure. maybe maybe instead they should cap the salaries of potential international signings to drive them away into other leagues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. They're still talking about the international draft. We'll have news on that in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I go. was gonna say, have I got news for you, Paul? <laughs> uh, yeah. Stay tuned on that. Um but yeah, that I don't know. I, yeah, I, I feel like expansion's probably a thing because like you guys mentioned, Vegas definitely seems like a thing they want to do, especially because they're going to be one of the last leagues to move to Vegas at this rate. So there you go. Um, but it, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I think it would definitely help boost the offense, right? Because uh, <laughs> the pitching's too good and you get crappier pitchers on expansion teams and suddenly offense goes up. So that'll be nice. All right. Uh, thanks for the question, Tyler. And a reminder, when you become a new patron, you get a shout out here on the podcast. And Tyler is one of them, right, Ryan? Tyler is, as well as uh, Price Trozen, who we've got both got questions from this week. So thank you guys for uh, joining in and welcome. And we do appreciate yep. it. Thanks. Welcome aboard. And Absolutely. I should note, we are now at 98 patrons, active patrons. So... Ooh. We're like, yeah, we're almost at 100 and you can be number 100 and get absolutely no special perks whatsoever for being number 100. (laughs) But it would still be a cool thing that you can like, I don't know, put on a resume or something. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely uh, resume worthy there as well. So uh, thanks for you two for signing up and hopefully get two more and hit 100 next week and and we'll shout those people out as well. Uh, Reminder too, if you... uh, you know, even if you're already a patron or if you're, you know, not able to, you we, you can still support us in a different way. You can go and leave us a re- review and rating. Easy enough for me to say as we're approaching an hour and a half recording here. Uh, <laughs> go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review, please. Five stars. Paul will read it here um, on the podcast. Yep. And uh, don't know if we've gotten one in, in quite a nope. while. So. Still Bob Peterson at the top. <laughs> B movie second, so there's there's space for y'all. <laughs> B movie is second. That's sad. Yeah. Like, get on the that ball, people. Come on, let's go. No, yeah. Like, think of a different animated movie that Paul can read a script for. Uh, 
cars. I don't know. Whatever. Go for it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, go to Apple Podcasts and and leave us a review and uh, five stars there. While you are there, please do hit that subscribe or uh, follow button on whatever your podcast platform of choice is, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, anywhere else. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that as well. And make sure you don't miss an episode. Uh, so that'll kind of do things, uh, wrap things up here this week. Uh, we will have plenty more to talk about, I'm sure, next week, in, including whether or not Josh Hader still sucks. And uh, <laughs> I hope everybody has a good week. <laughs> and we will see you here next week on The Walking Stout. Thanks, everyone. So